If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16. This morning, again, it's so good to see all of you as we have gathered on Christmas Eve, the day before Christmas Day, where we celebrate uh, what Brother Charles over here just said to me before I came up here, the greatest Advent that's ever taken place took place in Bethlehem, and he said it with tears in his eyes, one that I'll never get over. Praise God for that, we should never get over it. Well, this morning is the final Sunday in our 2023 Advent season, and it really is hard to believe as the years just seem to fly by much quicker uh, than we can keep up. I'm sure you would all affirm that. And I'm sure that for all of us, this year has been filled with great triumphs, and I'm sure it has also been filled with great hardships. As I was preparing for today, I've been reflecting on God's goodness to us as a congregation throughout this year. If you were at our, if you're a member and were at our finals member, final members meeting a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, you got a glimpse of just how good God has been to us this year. And I can assure you that those accounts, those testimonies that we heard as a congregation barely scratched the surface of God's goodness to us, His people. Now, as we close out this Advent season, we're considering, if you haven't picked up on it already, we're considering the topic of God's love. The fourth Sunday of Advent is always themed after God's love, particularly and obviously as demonstrated in the sending of Christ, the Son of God, in the Incarnation. As we consider the love of God, we're going to look at one particular verse, most likely the most famous verse in all of Scripture outside of judge not lest you to be judged. People love that one, right? But this particular verse, John 3, 16, can be seen in so many places and really encapsulates the heartbeat, the very heartbeat of Christianity. The great reformer Martin Luther referred to this verse as the gospel in miniature. The gospel in miniature. And in the simplicity of this verse, we find the very essence of the Christian message. We find a message so profound that it has the power to transform lives, which is evidenced tangibly. We can see tangibly here today in all of our lives who have called upon the name of Christ as Savior and Lord. And it's a declaration of love. And it's a love that is not a casual or ordinary love, but an extravagant, sacrificial love that compelled the Creator of the universe, the Creator of everything that has been seen and everything that has yet to be seen. It compelled Him to send His only begotten Son into the world. And with this, Advent is much more than just a countdown to Christmas. It is an invitation to dwell in the awe and wonder of God's boundless love for each one of us. And this love beckons us to draw near, to receive, and to respond. 
And what is so great about this love, something that we're going to consider in just a moment, is that this love is not based on your merit. It's not based on my merit, but based solely upon God's mercy. It's a love that pursues us. It's a love that redeems us. And it's a love that invites us into a relationship with the Creator of all things, not because we deserve it, but because God is so gracious. And so, before Christmas tomorrow morning, let this message today be a reminder as we grasp the magnitude of God's love for us. May our souls be stirred, may our spirits be quickened, and may our lives be forever changed by the endless love of our Heavenly Father in giving us His Son. So if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's Word, would you stand? I'm going to read one verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. The Word of God reads, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Pray with me. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive Your Word this morning. The Gospel message that You proclaimed to us in Your Holy Word is timeless and transformative. It's the greatest news that has ever come across the world stage. And I pray this morning, God, that as we consider Your love for us, an unconditional, unearned love, I pray that we would rejoice in Jesus and the depths that You went to in taking on flesh through the Son to live in this broken, fallen creation. God, may we be renewed this morning as we consider your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when considering the love of God for us, I think that many of us wrestle with whether or not God really loves us. And I know this for certain, for a few reasons. First, a couple reasons. First, because I am a human, and it's easy for me to wrestle with this very question. Does God really love me? Second, I know this is true because as a pastor, I've also walked with many of you and many others through this question and wrestling with God's love for you in your own life and how do I know if God loves me? And so I think a question that I hope to clarify and really expound upon this morning is simply this. Can I really be certain of God's love for me? Can I really be certain for God's love for me? Each day when I wake up, each day as I live, each day as I struggle, each day as I battle sin, each day as things happen in my life or life just settles in, can I be certain of God's love for me? 
You see, I think that most of the time, at least in practical terms, maybe not up here because most of us know what the Bible says, but uh, what we really believe up here manifests itself in action, right? And so I think in practical terms, we think that God's love for us fluctuates based upon the circumstances that surround us or that are taking place within our lives. It's almost like a love-stricken child that takes a flower and starts pulling off the petals. He loves me, he loves me not. I think about the little rascals in Alfalfa trying to figure out if Darla really loves him when I think about that, or Elizabeth when she was head over heels in love with me trying to figure out if I really loved her back. But in practical terms, maybe you get engaged, he loves me. Or you find out you have cancer, he loves me not. You get married, he loves me. You're still single, he loves me not. You get a job, he loves me. You get fired, he loves me not. You see, because we live in this fallen world, and we wrestle with this fallen flesh, all of us are naturally prone to think of God's love for us in terms of our circumstances operating in the uncertainty of whether or not God truly loves us. But what God tells us here in John 3.16 is that we do not have to live in uncertainty as to whether or not God really loves us. Because of what God has done for us in Christ, we need not walk around each day or walk through each circumstance that comes our way and wonder if God truly loves us. We know God loves us because of what God has done for us. And we see that ever so clearly in this simple verse this morning. And so from this verse, I want to consider three things that demonstrate for us the greatness of God's love for us. First thing, God's love for us is great because it is unearned. God's love for us is great because it is unearned. There are two words in this verse that draw our attention to this truth. First, the word for. Second, the word world. Now, first, for, the word for, and if you've read your Bible and you've learned how to read the Bible or thought through it or you've just spoken plain English, the word for links back to what came before it. And so the word for links us back to verse 14 and 15 of John chapter 3. Here's verse 14. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life. And so verse 16 is directly connected with the encounter that Jesus overviews from the book of Numbers in His conversation with Nicodemus. You see, the story in Numbers 21, 4 through 9, and some of you, many of you know this story, was certainly familiar to Nicodemus. It's a story of sin, for the nation of Israel had rebelled against God, and they had to be punished. And so God sent fiery serpents that bit the people so that many died, which is a terrifying scenario if you ask me. You all know I hate snakes, all of them. All of them, I just hate them. And so God sends snakes, and they're biting people in judgment, and the people are dying. And so it is a story of sin, but it's also a story of grace. For Moses interceded for the people, and God provided a remedy for those bitten by the snakes. He told Moses to make a brass serpent 
to lift it up on a pole for all to see. And any stricken person who looked at the serpent would immediately be healed. So it's also a story of faith. When people looked by faith, they were saved. This is the result of God's great love, which was unearned. They did not earn their salvation in that moment. They did not earn their healing. They looked and lived. And so in connection with these verses, Jesus says that he also must be lifted up in death. Much as the serpent was lifted up on that pole, so the Son of God would be lifted up on the cross. Why? Why would Jesus, the Son of God, need to be publicly executed in a manner so heinous as a crucifixion? Well, verse 16 is the answer. To save us from sin and death. In the camp of Israel, the solution to the serpent problem was not killing the serpents. It wasn't making medicine. It wasn't pretending that they weren't there. It wasn't passing any anti-serpent laws or climbing the pole. The answer was in looking by faith at the lifted up serpent. Look and live. Well, the whole world, church, has been bitten by sin, and the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And so God sent Jesus, His Son, to die. And so the death of Jesus was necessary because God loves us. The crucifixion of Christ, the horrible crucifixion of the Son of God, is a direct result of the love of God for you and for me. God's love is chiefly displayed to us through the death of Jesus. And this is the reason why Jesus came in His first advent. Jesus came to die. And the motivating action for this, the motivating action for the sending of the Son and for His coming was love. We didn't earn this love. It wasn't based on our merit because we aren't lovable. God loves us because God has chosen to love us. Romans 5.8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is not a result of morality. It's not a result of personality. It's not a result of wealth. But only the result of the unmerited grace and love of God. Look to Christ and live. The other word that communicates the unearned nature of God's love is the word world. Now when Jesus is saying world in this verse, He's not talking about the bigness or the size of the world. Instead, He is talking about the fallen sinful world. He isn't talking about the bigness of the world, but the badness of the world. And so God gave this gift as a demonstration of His love, and His love was displayed to the entire world. And so we don't see the width of the world, but we see how far God stooped down to come to us in Christ when we consider the depths of depravity of this world. As one pastor notes, John 3.16 is not about our loveliness, but about God's love. And the text does not say God loves us present tense now that we have been made His children. It says that God loved us past tense before we were saved. As we 
were depraved, His enemies. And so what Jesus is saying is that God is the one who acts first. His love for us is unearned. Look to Christ and live. These words, church, these words encapsulate the very essence of the Christian message, a message that reverberates with the radical nature of God's love. It's a love that stands in stark contrast to the common narratives of our world, a love that is not earned, a love that is not merited, but freely given by a gracious and merciful God. You see, in, in, in a world that often measures worthiness by achievement and worthiness by success, the message of John 3.16 and Christ coming to us in the incarnation is a radical departure from the norm. It declares that God's love is not a transaction, it's not a reward for good behavior, but a divine gift bestowed upon us despite our unworthiness. And consider for a moment the implications of a love that is not earned. It means that you and I, in our brokenness, in our imperfection, stand on level ground before the cross. None of us can claim to have earned this love through our own efforts. It is a love that flows from the very heart of God, a love that pursues us relentlessly, knowing our weaknesses, yet offering us redemption. In a culture that often tells us we must prove ourselves to be loved, the gospel declares a radical reversal. God's love is the initiator, not the responder. It's not a love that says, prove yourself and then I'll accept you. No, it says, I love you, come as you are, find grace and transformation. This Christmas, a reminder of this love should liberate our souls, church. It lifts the burden of performance, it lifts the burden of trying to measure up, and it invites us into a relationship characterized by grace. And it would do us well this morning to embrace this truth with open hearts. Second thing, pointing to the greatness of God's love. God's love for us is great because it is sacrificial. Love acts, right? The Father gave, John 3.16 tells us. Now look at the language. For God so loved the world. This points out a demonstration. But what does the word so mean? Your, your uh, translation may something, say something a little different. We could take it to say that he loved the world so, so much that he sent Jesus to die. But this is not what the so means here in this verse. It's better translated in this manner. For God so loved the world that he demonstrated it in this manner. This is a love that moves beyond sentimentality. It moves beyond the uh, fleeting emotion. It's a love that takes the form of a profound and sacrificial gift, the gift of God's only Son. And so how did God so love the world? Well, He loved the world by giving. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. God the Father not only sent God the Son, but He surrendered God the Son. How do we know someone loves us? Three words, right? I love you. Now think about these words the first time your spouse or soon-to-be spouse 
said them to you. I just melted when Elizabeth said these words to me. We celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary this past Wednesday. We didn't do anything. We had sick kids and everything. You know how it goes. But when you first heard these words, they made your heart explode, didn't they? But these words are not the only reason you know someone loves you. In fact, if someone were to ask you, how do you know that someone loves you? They're probably not the primary reason that you know someone loves you at all. You wouldn't respond, well, how do you know someone loves you? Well, because he says so. That's probably not what you would say. Without fail, the explanation of someone's love for you will always involve some sort of demonstration. Well, they spend time with me. Or they demonstrate it for me and how they serve me and what they do for me. Well, it's always a demonstration of love that assures you of someone's love, right? And so we can be confident that God loves us not simply because we hear the words, I love you, but because we see the demonstration of His love. We see the sacrifice of something far more precious than time or money or anything else. The gift of love that God gave was the sacrifice of His Son. And if the measure of God's love for you, and if the measure of God's love for me is measured by the greatness of God's, God's gift, then you cannot get any greater than this. Can I be sure of God's love for me. Well, God has proven this to us. He demonstrated His love on the cross in the past, assures us of His love now and in the future as He keeps us and preserves us. And so when you question God's love for you, church, if you find yourself in a situation or a circumstance where you question God's love for you, look up and live. Look to the cross. If He's going to make the big purchase through Christ, then we can rest knowing that God loves us. He has proven He loves us sacrificially. He's proven that He loves us wholeheartedly. He's proven that He loves us generously. You were not on the cross. I was not on the cross. God's own Son hung on the cross. Let us never doubt the love of God for us. We did not pay the terrible price for our sin that God's righteousness and holiness demanded in order for reconciliation and redemption to take place. Jesus did. How do you know that God loves you? Look at what He did with His own Son, Jesus. Look at what Jesus willingly did to redeem His people. I want you to really think about this for a moment. We just flippantly say these things think about these things, but the magnitude and the depth of what has taken place in the Son of God, taking on flesh and doing what He did, is beyond comprehension. The Creator of the universe, everything you've seen, everything you haven't seen, everything we can see or even fathom, the Creator of everything that has ordered everything to function in a particular and proper way that keeps breath in your lungs by the Word of His power, the Creator of everything, the Author of life, did not merely offer a sentiment or a symbol of love. Jesus is not a mere symbol of love. Not at all. In an unparalleled act of sacrifice, God gave the most precious gift He had, His Son, Jesus Christ. 
This sacrificial love is not based on our worthiness, it's not based on our merit, but on the depth of God's own character. And again, this sacrificial love challenges our worldly notions of love, which often seek personal gain or self-preservation. And God's love, as portrayed in John 3.16, is sacrificial in nature. It's a love that willingly enters into the brokenness of our humanity. A love that bears the weight of our sins on the cross. And as we ponder the sacrifice embedded in these words, let us be reminded that the gift of Jesus was not giving to a deserving deserving world, but to a world desperately in need of redemption. It's a sacrificial love that extends to the broken. It extends to the lost and it extends to the hurting. All of these things we have in common. This love extends to you and I. Does God love me? Yes. Yes, He does. Let us grasp the magnitude of this sacrificial love. It is a love that calls us to respond, a love that calls us to repent, and a love that calls us to surrender our hearts to Him in gratitude for the sacrifice made on our behalf. Remember, God's love is not merely a sentiment, but a sacrificial act that invites us into eternal life. Third, God's love for us is great because it's transformative. God's love for us is great because it's transformative. Because of the love of God in sending the sending of the Son, and because of the sending of the Spirit to us in salvation, we now have the power to love. This love, the love of God, empowers us now to love. 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. God's love is not static God's love is dynamic, God's love is alive, and God's love is capable of bringing about radical change in our lives. We love because of what, because of what we have now been given in Christ, which is, John 3.16 tells us, eternal life. Now let's be clear about something really quick. When we hear, or when we think about eternal life, we automatically think of an endless number of days. Naturally, we think of forever and eternity in terms of time or a time frame that is never ending. But the eternal life we receive is not just a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. It's not just an endless number of days in the future. It's a quality of life now, where we are now, living now as the redeemed people of God. If you look at verse 18, Jesus says that those who do not believe in Him now are condemned already. That is, their life here on earth is characterized by condemnation, not freedom. But what Jesus says, and what Paul echoes right now in Romans 8, that for those who believe in Christ now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, we live eternally and eternally minded now. Right now, if you are not a Christian... You are condemned already. That is, when you take your last breath and you stand before a high and holy God, you do not have salvation because you are condemned. And you will suffer the eternal consequences of sin because of that condemnation. 
But right now, if you are in Christ, you are living eternal life right now. You are living as one who is not condemned, one who is transformed, one who is set free through repentance and faith in the risen Christ. This is how we love now. We love now knowing that we are not condemned. We are transformed to love now because we are not condemned. We are transformed to love now because we mirror the one that has been shown to us by the Father in, sin, in the sending of the Son, Jesus Christ. We do not believe in general, but we believe in Him. That's what John 3.16 says. In Christ. Emmanuel. God with us, the Son of the living God, God in the flesh, who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died a death on a cross he did not deserve to take upon him the punishment that was due for our sin, buried in a tomb, rose on the third day, defeating sin and death once and for all, offering redemption to all who come to him by faith right now. And this transformative love does not leave us as we are, but it works in us, molding us into the likeness of Christ. If you are just as you were before you were born again, you're not born again. It changes us. This transformation is not a mere external change. It's not just a cleaning up of the outside or a quick change in morality, but it is a deep inward renewal of our hearts and of our minds. Our outer selves manifest this deep internal change. The Spirit is continually working within us. God's love has the power to shatter the chains of sin and darkness that bind us. It's a love that brings redemption, restoration, and renewal. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we surrender our lives to Him, the transformative journey begins. The old is cast away and the new emerges through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And the transformative love doesn't just secure us a place in eternity, it reshapes our present reality. It's not just fire insurance for when we die, it changes us now. I don't think we get that. It empowers us to live lives marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of God's transformative love working in us. This means that when we go out shopping this time of year, we don't act like the rest of crazies in town, right? Or do you? Elizabeth got convicted. I read this to her last night. She got convicted over that one. I'm picking on her today. All of those have been approved, by the way. There's say nothing about my family that's not already approved. We began by acknowledging the radical truth that God's love is not earned. In a world fixated on merit and achievement, listen to me, we find solace in the assurance that God's love is a gift freely given, unearned, and unmerited. It is a love that levels the playing field. It is a love that invites each one of us into a relationship with our Creator based on grace, not performance. 
We then considered the sacrificial nature of God's love, a love that defies conventional norms. The Almighty God, in an act of unparalleled sacrifice, gave His Son. This sacrificial love beckons us to the cross where Jesus bore the weight of our sins, demonstrating a love that goes beyond sentimentality that demands our response. Then we marveled at the transformative power of God's love. This is not a static love, but a dynamic force that reshapes, renews, and restores. It breaks the chains of sin. It ushers in redemption and empowers us to live lives marked by the fruit of the Spirit. It's a love that transforms us from the inside out. And now as we stand at, a, at the crossroads of these profound truths from John 3.16, let us respond with hearts filled with gratitude. The love of God demonstrated to us first at Christ's birth and later at His death and resurrection is an invitation to receive, to believe, and to be transformed. Let us carry this message into our lives, into our homes, into our communities, into the world around us. May our lives be a testament to the unearned, sacrificial, and transformative love of God. And this Christmas, let the reality of John 3.16 resonate in our hearts, shaping our worship, shaping our relationships, and shaping our daily walk with the Lord, and may the love that flowed from the manger to the cross continue to flow through us, bringing light to a world in need. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.